the number one thing is to go and take a deep, honest look at the relationship that you have with your child so that you are able to invite your child back into your orbit so that they are leaning into you for the guidance around those kinds of things. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm your host. And today we will be discussing aggressive behavior in children. I've been receiving a few emails in the past two-ish months from parents who feel that their child might have become a little bit more aggressive these days and they were curious to know whether or not it had to do with the pandemic and I thought it would be a really interesting topic for us to discuss today. So I brought in somebody that I absolutely love. Her content is, is really important and she has shared information that can help us really parent our children in a way that is aligned with what I read in research. As you know, that's really important to me. Today's guest is Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. Before I introduce her and before I have my chat with her, I would first like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at the Neuro here in Montreal for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please rate the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. Let me know. Send me an email at info at or come visit us on Instagram. We are now at 113,000 followers. You can send us a DM at curious underscore neuron. Let me know. Send me a screenshot of a review that you left and I will send you a free PDF of either our potty training PDF or the tantrum one. And the tantrum one has this amazing... Um, graphic or this image that you could print out and place in your home and help your child to learn how to regulate their emotions. So it's one of my favorite PDFs. And we also have courses on our academy that is hosted on our website at www.curiousneuron.com. And you could also participate in a research study by visiting our website uh, that is under the free resources section. So you have all of that on our website. Come visit us on Instagram. And I love that you are here listening to the podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe and leave a rating. As I mentioned, our guest today is Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. She is a mom, a registered psychologist, a parenting educator, and best-selling author, international speaker, and a regularly invited media guest. She's the founder and director of the Wishing Star Lapointe Developmental Clinic. She has been supporting families and children for almost 20 years and has previous experience in community mental health and the school system. Her passion is in walking alongside parents teachers, care providers, to really see the world through the child's eyes. She believes that if we can do this, we are beautifully positioned to grow our children in the best possible way. All the resources that she will mention during the interview will be in the show notes, so you could click onto the show notes and see all the links there. And you can visit our website at kirstneuron.com and click on podcast to visit her page. Hi, Dr. Lepoint. Welcome to the Kirstneuron podcast. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. As I said, I, I was so excited to speak with you. I remember about two years ago, my friend introduced me to you and she said, you have to look up Vanessa. She's amazing. And when I told her I was interviewing you, she's like, I'm jealous. <laughs> <That's so sweet. laughs> and your videos, I don't think there's one video that I've ever watched that I haven't said yes, like out loud. Like, it's amazing. Awesome. Your videos are amazing. Thank so you. we're going to have a, a good conversation about aggressive behavior today and a lot of parents had questions. The big problem I think that people reached out to me was they were seeing a lot more aggressive behavior in schools. Um, but what was interesting is that when I posted this question or this story on Instagram, questions were related to younger kids mm. hitting, biting in two-year-olds. But I don't see it being the same. Mm. Is it? Are we talking about the same thing when we talk about aggressive behavior in elementary school versus a two-year-old that's biting? Usually, no, we're not talking about the same behaviors because mm. there are kind of two pathways that we can begin getting curious about uh, when we're thinking about aggressive behaviors. And one of those pathways is, is this a developmental thing? The other of those pathways is, is this an emotional thing? And so you have to kind of think about who is the child, where are they at, not just in terms of age, 
but also in terms of stage of development and what is going on for them uh, in life happening all around them. Um, And then you can kind of start to put the pieces together. It kind of what you just said makes me think of when I tell parents to zoom out a little bit, right? Because when we see our child hitting, um, we might just decide that that's aggressive and they're, they're, they need to be disciplined. But there's a lot more when it's a two, three or four year old. So how would you approach that with what you just said? You know, I wanted to talk about elementary school, but now I realized that there's a lot of parents who probably have younger kids and who probably have their own parents saying like, you shouldn't let your child hit. Like, that's bad. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming they don't know how to navigate the situation. So what can a parent do in this case? So for a younger child, when they are hitting, one of the things for us, just to make sure that the lens is tinted the right way, one of the things for us to know as grown-ups is that young children have really limited capacity for internally manufactured self-regulatory abilities, <laughs> yes. right? So they can't, true. they can't, you know, if their sibling takes their toy or whatever it is, um, or maybe their sibling's doing something that they want to do where their sibling has taken their mummy away from them yet again. You know, those <laughs> kinds of things, they can't like reason within their mind and make mm-hmm. sense of all of the stuff coming up in their bodies. Uh, they need a lot of support from the outside. And so when you have all of that kind of stuff going on on the inside of you as a little one, you are going to, as Freud said, better out than in. So you're going Mm -hmm. to act out based on what's happening on the inside, not because you're a bad kid, but because you're awesome because you're two and that's amazing. And you're three and that's amazing. You're developmentally super on track. And part of being developmentally on track as a little person is the hits are going to escape sometimes. You mentioned the support outside and that comes back to us. And that's what happens when you zoom out. You become part of the environment that you want to assess and scan to understand your child's behavior what happens in that case? You know, this is something I learned after my third child, I realized here I was focusing on my kids and and giving information about child development, but I hadn't realized how important we were in this whole thing. I was naive at that point. And we have to realize that we do play a role. However, on the other side of that, I know that it's difficult as a parent because you don't want to point the fingers at you, right? It's, it's, it becomes uncomfortable. So as if a parent right now is listening and, and has a child under the age of five and says, yeah, they've been really aggressive lately. They've been hitting and, and biting and scratching and screaming, perhaps. Am I the problem? Yeah, like, how do we that. approach that? And how do we, what questions do we start asking? Yeah. And that's a tricky bit of business to wander into because parent blame and shame is not going to get anybody anywhere, especially your child, right? And one of the things that I often say to parents is it's not that you've caused the problem and in very little letters necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) And it is that you are the solution. So uh, when you come at it from that place, it doesn't really matter where the problem originated. It doesn't matter if it's you, the parent or whatever it is. What we know 100% for sure, for sure, is that you are the solution. Why? Mm -hmm. Because littles don't exist in isolation. They are um, a product of the environment, and it's you that creates, shifts, moves, navigates that environment alongside them. Um, And so we do need to kind of take a look at ourselves. And I also always say, you've got to grow you in order to grow them. So let's Mm -hmm. pretend your child has just hit their sibling or or kicked you or thrown something at your um, face. My eldest son, true story, once broke my nose. Um, He was very little. It was unintentional. He jumped up with his giant head and smashed me in the face. Um, And it's hard though, as a parent in those moments, you like, you can feel the heat come up inside Mm -hmm. of you and like, you want to just shut that down. Yeah. (laughs) And it's hard not to have, you know, an angry outburst or to get yelly shouty or to start with punishing and blaming and shaming because it Mm. pulls up stuff for you. And so that's Mm. that's a piece as well as parents that we need to really understand. How has that triggered us? Because your children are master energy readers. And if you're like, no, everything's okay, it's really okay. They're going to know. They know. Absolutely. They know. I, I would sing after I had my second child. They were very close together, 22 months apart. Mm. And when I would get frustrated or really mad, I would sing thinking that like, they'll <laughs> never know. 
I've got this. I'm going to sing whatever tune was on the radio before, but I'm really mad. <laughs> and my daughter, about like seven months after doing that, I was singing at one point. She's like, are you mad? <laughs> I was like, how did she know? <laughs> but they know, they, they can tell this. our body language. So, you know, coming into this whole pandemic, this is, you know, some parents are questioning, has the pandemic caused this? Mm. And that's a really big question, mm. but it comes back to the environment. So I know that for myself, I became more easily frustrated during the pandemic because I was in a house with three kids, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and we couldn't get out, right? So is this, when we're assessing the environment, and now we're kind of looking towards ourselves, and we might have noticed something, what are some changes that we can try to make to improve the environment for a child? Yeah. Because it's not easy, right? Oh, no, it's definitely mm-hmm. not e- easy. And certainly we know a few things about what it takes to really show up as a parent. We know that parents were never meant to go this alone. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that we say things like it takes a village and, you know, all yes. of that kind of stuff, because yeah. you're meant to have this community at your back. You're meant to have reprieve. You're meant to have, mm-hmm. you know, wise elders that you can go to for advice like you're meant to have this whole community of support around you and Mm -hmm. through the course of the pandemic um a lot of us lost those supports and lost that community at least in the way that we were used to connecting with it and so one of the things that i would make sure is that you have as a parent uh in modern day times really set yourself up to be enveloped by a community of support And we have to get savvy and creative about that uh, in today's times because it's not a naturally existing feature for most of us. When you think about generations gone by, they raised their young in a very different kind of context than us. So we have to kind of think about that and plan for it and make it happen. So so that would be one thing to make sure that you have that village of support. Um, I think a second thing would be to really understand, and I go back to Dan Siegel's work um, Mm. in borrowing a phrase from him where he said, the environment creates the mind, and then the mind creates the environment. And so the bottom line is you are going to parent as you were parented. Yes. Even if you swear up and down that you're going to do it different and you're going to make it better Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. There will come a time when you hear your mother or your father coming out your mouth. Mm. That will happen. And so it is upon us in those moments when we feel triggered to really allow ourselves to be curious about where did the reaction come from and what kind of wound does that take us back to from our own childhood when your mind was being formed? And how can you meet the needs of that inner child whilst also stepping forward and meeting the needs of the child in front of you? I've had this conversation with some people and sometimes I think we always attribute it to some sort of trauma or something bad that happened to us as a child. But it's not just that, because when we look at emotion regulation skills, there's so much that we have to learn as a child that will impact how we deal with relationships and communication as an adult, can we, and, and then there's attachment, right? So would, would all of these things play into how we're parenting our child and how we're responding to those moments where they're being aggressive? It's a lot. Yeah. And a hundred percent. Yeah. All of that will play in. Yeah. And by virtue of sort of just how time passes and the more prominent schools of thought around child raising. The majority of us who are parenting right now, my children are teenagers, but even for those of you that have younger children, uh, you very likely were raised by behaviorists, which means that there was a real focus on the behavior. And if we don't like the behavior, we do what we need to do to squash the behavior. And that's a very different style of parenting than looking at relationship as the foundation of everything healthy for a child, Um, focusing on children's needs, focusing on the science of regulation and child development and all of the pieces related to that. So if that's the case, which it will be for most of us, then we were raised in behaviorist environments, even if your parents were rocks are awesome. You were raised in a behaviorist environment. You would have gone to school in a behaviorist environment. Children still do mostly go to school in behaviorist environments. And so that means that's how your mind was formed. 
which makes it really hard when you are now a parent and you have, you know, this child melting down in the grocery store lineup and all of these eyeballs of people in the lineup drilling holes Mm. into the back of your head with their judgy stares. And it's hard not to fall into the pressure of that and begin to penalize your kid. It's true. You know, that that whole parenting style thing, I think there are so many misconceptions around like what style works best. And, you know, of course, when we were younger, like you said, it, it had a lot to do with like squashing that behavior, the big emotions, the the anything that was considered bad or wrong, or even now, like when I, my kids were young, my grandmother would say, you're <laughs> spoiling them because you're holding a two, two week old yeah. baby too much in your hands, you know, just let her cry. And I remember saying, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this you know but just to say like it's very prominent and now we understand that there has to be some sort of connection and Mm. sensitivity towards their emotions but we've almost swung the pendulum a little bit further than that thinking that maybe less rules or more of being you know being their friend and and not having as many boundaries within the home or limits sometimes there's like this misunderstanding but both are important and both could contribute to that aggressive or or that behavior yeah. issue. I call that the seedy mm. underbelly of attachment parenting. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Where the pendulum does swing too hard and we you know we hear from people like you and I perhaps that relationship is so important and you have to be connected mm. with your children and so on and so forth. Mm. And if if we take that too far and there's a reason that we take it too far which I'll come back to. What ends up happening is we see it as our job to make sure our children are happy and they can't ever get upset and there can be no bumps in the road and we have to make it all be shiny and pretty and lovely because connection's important. Yes. (laughs) So we can't say no and we can't have boundaries and we can't have rules and norms Mm -hmm. and expectations and all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. because we have to be connected. Yeah. And it makes the child very uncomfortable and that makes us uncomfortable too. Right. And the question is, why do we in the name of being connected to our children, just like sell out to all of it. Like, why do we just say yes to every, why do we think that's what it is? That also comes back to a wound. And so whenever I'm working with parents, I talk about the parenting mountain and how you have to stay at the peak of the mountain. The challenge being that the slope on either side of the mountain is very steep. So you will need two equal but opposite forces to hold you in balance at the peak of the mountain. And everybody wants to stay at the peak because the views from the top are quite spectacular. (laughs) So the two equal but opposite forces are firm and kind. Mm. The challenge is, and I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I bet you I can count on one hand the number of parenting couples that I have met Okay, maybe two hands in 20 years, but I have met who um, don't have one representative on either side of the mountain. Mm. So there's very few of us who actually naturally, given our own childhood experiences and our understanding of what it is that children need, who can naturally and organically embody firm and kind at the same time. We almost always have a default side of the mountain. Mm. And so If you default to firm, it means that you don't show up with enough kindness and then you can't, you aren't balanced anymore. So then you'll tumble down the mountain and you actually just become more of a bully to your kid. On the other hand, which gets back to your question, if you're on the kind side and you don't show up with enough firmness, you also will not be balanced and you will tumble down that kind side of the mountain and turn into what I call the jellyfish parent. (laughs) Well, you're just running yourself ragged, trying to keep your kids happy and keep the peace and erase all the issues and you and you feel overwhelmed by it and or guilty and or whatever. And so you just want to make it all go away, make it all be easy. And plus, everybody said connection's important. So don't make your kid matter sad. Mm. That's a lot. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a problem. There are studies that look at th- that type of parenting and how it leads to mental health issues sometimes in the child because they haven't experienced knows they haven't experienced those difficult times that lead to the resilience aspect right absolutely we might think that how, how can there be anything wrong with that if we're just loving them and, and being kind and letting letting them do whatever they want but in the end that is we really do need to balance both and it's hard 
It is really hard because we have these sort of default lenses that we view the world and parenting through. And so you have to really be constantly checking in around that. Mm. And the capacity for self-regulation, like we all come wired up with that potential within us, Mm. but it needs to be actualized through experience, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. So if the child is never has to bump into boundaries, never has to accept uh, defeat or upset Mm -hmm. or, or, or any kind of challenging emotion, how did the neurons that fire up and then settle down in order to eventually produce this internal capacity for self-regulation, they'll never become wired up because they don't get enough practice. Having said that, you don't need to run around and impose all these like random, like no's and boundaries and rules because Dr. Vanessa said, you got (laughs) to wire up your kid's brain. You don't need to do that. Life will do that. Hmm. Life will bring enough of that your child's way. One of my sons was playing in a really big provincial rugby game last night. And it was a nail biter kind of game. And it came down like right down to the very last possible minute second in the game (laughs) to declare the winner. And the whole time I could see him, you know, like wanting to like crawl out of his skin and everything within me, because I'm a jellyfisher, that's my side (laughs) of the mountain that I fall down, wanted this to be okay. And I could hear my brain already finding the shortcuts, right? Well, the ref Mm -hmm. was this and that didn't happen. It wasn't, you know, you can think about all those things. And sometimes, and he's 15, he's not five. So, Mm. you know, (laughs) he has different lessons to be learning. They did win, by the way. Nice. Yeah. But preparing yourself for the idea that your child will face disappointments, and that's Mm. part of it. Mm. It's part of life. What we're talking about now, how does that apply if you do have an older child like like yours, for example, or early elementary school at some point? Are we, you know, if if a parent has noticed these changes, these behavioral changes in their child, are we approaching it the same way that we would with the younger child? Are we still looking back, looking at ourselves, looking at the environment, or is there something different that we need to do? We're, we're, we're always needing to look at ourselves and look at our reactions and look at environment always. Mm. The difference with older children is that there is a reason, for example, in the province that I live in, um, where there's a significant shift from age five to age six in terms of the number of adults that must be present um, for the number of children, right? So we go from whatever the ratio is, let's say it's 10 to one, I'm totally making it up. Um, and then they go to, to school, some children do. Um, and in that environment, when they're out on the playground at recess, the ratio is 100 kids to one adult. Yeah. So why does it change so quickly? It changes because we know that children are much more developed and thus much more able to hang on to their hips when they're mad, hang on to their kicks, hang on to their throws mm. when they're upset. They're able to regulate around those kinds of things. And so we don't need as many big people around to make sure all of the children are sorted out. Mm. So when we see these kinds of aggressive behaviors coming out in older children, we unless there's some other developmental issue at play, Meaning, you know, a child with exceptionalities Mm -hmm. whose brain uh, and person is growing in a different way. And that's like a whole different conversation. But for a a neurotypical child uh, in elementary school or even older that's having these aggressive behaviors, something's up. Mm. Behavior will always be about communication. And so we have to figure out, okay, is this something that's up us? Is there like some kind of disjoint in the relationship between us and the child? Is it the school environment? Mm-hmm. That's how I figured out that my son had a learning difference because he was the behavior sort of like, wow. And I was like, okay, so here we go, Dr. Vanessa. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is, right? So what is going on in the school environment that may or may not be working? Is it an academic challenge? Is it a social challenge? Are there other things happening? Is there, are there issues within the home? Are there issues uh, perhaps within your marriage? Maybe you've got things going on in terms of um, your career that are really unsettling. Maybe you've just moved. Maybe Mm -hmm. the family dog just died. You know, who knows what other kinds of pieces are at play that may be contributing to those behaviors. And so we set a boundary. 
because it's important for children to have that wall. It's, it's like if you were driving across a bridge, you want there to be guardrails on the bridge. Yes, yeah. It just makes you feel safe. Mm. So that's what, you know, really coming back to the rules, the norms, the expectations, this is how we go. This is how it goes as human beings. We hold those in place compassionately. So without yes, punishment exactly. mm. and then we get curious mm. and we figure out, okay, what's underneath it? Mm. Why is this child acting out? What is it that they are acting out? And it's harder now as an elementary school student, because now you might not be, we're not present, you know, when they're in school. So, and mm. they might say everything is fine. So it's, it must be much harder at that point because they're not always with you. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then they come home and you're like, how is school? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Who'd you play with, people? <laughs> there goes your curiosity. <laughs> That's it. It's over. <laughs> well, right. yeah. It's so hard. And and I know because my friends have their their children in school and elementary school. And it's it's like you said, that's that's exactly what happens every single night. And then it gets frustrating because you don't know how to help your child um, you know, through these issues and the schools that reach out to me here in Montreal you know they were saying that for example play fighting it's become more aggressive and the teachers mm. don't know how to navigate mm. that or even some kids and I don't know if this is aggressive behavior but you know intentionally doing things to harm somebody else and that might be a bit different but like you said then you have to get curious and there might be something underlying that that's a little bit more serious. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And when we, you know, there's a lot of really interesting research on play and, mm -hmm. and aggressively themed play. Mm. Um, and study after study after study after study shows that aggressively themed play is actually a beautiful outlet for children mm. when there's stuff up. And let me just tell you right now, as somebody who's alive in the year 2022, <laughs> There's stuff up, yeah. you know, like kids have a lot to be yeah. unsettled about. There's yeah. many things happening globally um, that are unsettling as well as, you know, within our own community. So, so there's a lot of reason that we might see escalating mm -hmm. aggressive play. The issue though, is when you respond to aggressively themed play in children of any age, the approaches that seek to shut the play down entirely mm -hmm. almost always go sideways and end up with a lot more kids being, um, uh, you know, expelled or put into detentions yeah. and those kinds of disciplinary actions mm. compared to adults who are able to come alongside that aggressively themed play and just be a little bit of a voice and a coach to remind kids where the boundaries are, yes. to, yeah. to maybe shift the play, the energy of the play a little bit um, by, you know, suggesting something or throwing a curveball into whatever it is that's happening. Um, and, and in those cases, kids tend to do quite well. And the play actually becomes then a vehicle by which they are able to resolve some of the emotional um, upset that has come about for whatever reason. And I'm imagining the teachers that are in the schoolyards and the educators, when you, if you're seeing this, you know, we might not be comfortable with it. And we might have those, we might, I'm thinking of that mountain that you described, right? Mm -hmm. I might want to discipline it right away because you don't play fight. You don't fight in the schoolyard. But if I actually take a moment to notice it, maybe it wasn't very aggressive. Maybe they're laughing and they're playing. So it's hard to, you know, I'm, I'm assuming having all these adults in that environment with different ways of, of oh, raising yeah. their children, that, that's hard. But you're, yeah. so, you're right. And there is ton, there are tons of studies showing how important that is. And mm -hmm. even within our home, we might be uncomfortable with it, you know, and we have to kind of guide it. I love that you've mentioned that because it does help them understand boundaries. Even when you're, you know, if, if you're putting your thumb up the person's ear and they're, and your, your siblings like really getting mad at you, you have to, that's a social skill. You have to realize yeah. I need to step it back a little bit. That's right. Yeah. That's there's right. so much learning around that. And I'm glad yeah. that we spoke about that because maybe mm -hmm. some parents feel that that's a big no in their home, right? No fighting, mm -hmm. but, but that's an important one. It's an important one. And, and in fact, the more we see that kids are not allowed to express playfully in those ways, the more likely it is that those children will struggle mm. with things related to having to bottle up those feelings mm. there. You know, it is different between the home environment and the school environment to a certain extent. And of I course, know when yeah. I speak with educators, there's often this um, challenge between what you do that is in the service of the group mm. versus what you do that's in the service of 
an individual child or one or two individual children. Mm-hmm. And so necessarily in those group environments, there will need to be kind of like full stop no around certain kinds of behaviors that you might be able to have a little more wiggle room around um, at home simply because that's what you must do to be in the service of the group. Um, And that we allow some invitation to express those ideas regardless, I think is really important. I'm wondering if we could sort of give parents this checklist or this idea of factors that can contribute to more aggressive behavior in a child versus not protective or protective factors, I guess, that you could be more mindful of to help support your child. I Just to contrast the two, if a parent's listening and maybe they're not sure, you know, is my, you know, maybe am I contributing to it? Is the environment contributing to it? What can they be more mindful of? Well, I think... It- we can think about it as a bit of a formula. Mm. The first, the first um, part of the formula is going to always involve taking a look within yourself. And so um, my family has navigated divorce and uh, reorganization over the past five or six years. And so throughout that time, and of course, in the period leading up to that, there would have been a lot of things that I could look at within myself mm-hmm. if I were to have seen challenges presenting in my children. And so the the first layer always is going to be, okay, is there anything obvious that's going on in that regard that I could be thinking about? Am I feeling, um, you know, overwhelmed? Am I feeling triggered? Do I have a lot of parent guilt going on right now? What What is going on with me? So that's the first thing. Then the second layer in the formula is going to be to take stock of what's happening for the child. And that's where you're going to be looking at environment and remembering that every single child is very unique in, in their own right. Mm-hmm. And so what works for one may not work for the other. Um, what worked at 9 a.m. may not work at 3 p.m. <laughs> or <true>. at 8 <laughs> p.m. And so you, you're, there's going to be a lot of you know, having to constantly reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Have there been any significant changes of late? Has there been any um, significant health issues within your child, things that you might not think about, but could be really important? For example, kids um, who uh, have asthma and then get have to take steroid medication. Sometimes those things can lead to different Mm. kinds of behaviors. And so just get curious about I love that that's the word we keep coming back to. Just get curious. that there, there might be things um, health-wise. Yeah. What about food intake? What about sleeping schedules? Yes. Yes. What about pooping and peeing? Is wow. all of that because children emotionally, that will express in their bodies. And so if there's any big shifts in any of those areas, mm. then start to think about have there been any changes and or big losses. Mm. Um, and then from there, you get to consider... Um, So that would be looking at all those environmental pieces. You get to consider what's kind of intrinsic to the child. Mm -hmm. And I I often come back to the orchid and the dandelion, the work of um, Thomas Boyce and his colleagues. Um, And do do you maybe have an orchid child? Which means that this is a kid who's going to be really, really sensitive Mm -hmm. to like everything in life. And what will you, what are you required to do as a parent? in order to step in and step up and really create a bit of a buffer for that child. So they're not so overwhelmed by life. Um, And then get fierce about it. And by fierce, I mean, for your child, not at your child. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's a good reminder. And you're, but I love that laying it out that way just gives parents, I think, such a nice game plan. And it it involves reminding, we have to remind ourselves that we are an important piece to this. And again, we are the solution. And I love how you frame that because mm-hmm. then it's, you know, whatever happened before is fine. Like, you know, sometimes parents reach out to me and they're like, I have a teen and, and I haven't worked on a relationship. I don't think we had a strong attachment before. Is it too late? And it's never, ever too late. I always never. use the example of as a 39 year old, you know, if, if I have a father who just left and if he would just come back and say like, I'm sorry, or whatever it is, you know, even with my mom and our relationship, it's always so important to kind of step back and, and apologize and work with them and show that you care. And that makes mm. a big difference for anybody, regardless your age. So it's never too late. <laughs> no. Yeah. And neuroplasticity is alive and well across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. Like 
until the moment you take your last breath. And even we could suggest for a few seconds after that. <laughs> so it's, the ship has never sailed. It's yeah. never, ever too late. Mm, I love that. I think this is great for parents. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking now about the parents that are listening and, and wondering, okay, now I've noticed this in my child. And you kind of touched on this a bit, but what are some signs and symptoms that we should perhaps speak to our doctor or this could be something more serious? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's a few things in terms of the medical side of things. And, and as my children used to remind me of frequently, mostly jokingly, but I um, often thought I gave you life and that's what you come up with. I am not a real doctor. I am a feelings doctor. So do not take my advice as straight up medical advice. And there would be certain things that you would want to check out with your physician. And so things like change, so anything changed in terms of physical systems. So um, eating, peeing, pooping, mm. <laughs> you want to have a look at all those things, sleeping, um, changes in medication uh, would be important to look at. And if there's been any significant health history. And so, for example, there are certain kinds of bacterial infections that can, as one of the symptoms, have a real increase in terms of anxiety and mm. related kinds of things. Mm. And so your physician would know about that and would know to look for that and would do the necessary swabs. Um, it's probably the one unique instance where there is like a magic red or blue pill that can take away your kid's anxiety. <laughs> um, and so it, that would be important to talk with the physician about. And then, you know, if all of those things check out and it seems like everything's kind of a-okay, and, and I don't think, you know, everybody needs to seek out a therapist or a counselor or a parent coach or whatever, but I'll tell you what, I'm a psychologist myself who has worked for years and years and years with parents and children. And as a mother and a human being, I sought out my own guide, mm. my own helper, my own coach, my own person that would be able to help me stay tethered. Mm in the moment, stay tethered in this big situation in order to be able to navigate it to the best of my ability for myself and for my children. And so, you know, if it all checks out medically, it sometimes it's really helpful still to, to find a guide, mm -hmm. somebody who can just help you look at things from a different perspective. Exactly. And I think that applies, you know, with our kids or relationships with our partners, it just helps to have somebody to talk to, even for yes. our own lives, you know, like as seeing a therapist just helps you put things into perspective sometimes or just get it out and then you feel good it just it's great my favorite thing is um one of my therapists has read my books of course and um every now and then he'll say to me just one second and then he'll start he'll like read my own words back to me and I'll be like oh, <laughs> how did I miss it but it's hard when you're yeah. in the middle of it mm. to sort of be able to have that bird's eye perspective mm. And I, I love that we're talking about this right now because, you know, it's so important to, to be real. Like we're, you know, on social media and we talk about parenting and sometimes people think that like, I've never, I've never yelled. I've yelled. <laughs> I have three <laughs> small kids. I've yelled and I'm not perfect. And I might know that, you know, I might talk about tantrums and say you should approach it this way, but there are days that I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, and I, I haven't slept. And I will, you don't have time to think about all that. And we are normal, but the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is really it's almost that 80, 20 rule, right? Of like, just do it as much as you can, but we'll never be yeah. able to do everything all no. at the same time. And if you were perfect, like quite frankly, I would be concerned, <laughs> right? Because yeah. then you're not normal. <laughs> and there really is, you know, the idea of the good enough parent, mm. you don't, you don't have to be brilliant. In Edwardtronics work, they look at the still face environment and the in the cues that parents yes. pick up on or don't pick up yes. on and all of those pieces. Um, and in their work, in the best of relationships, parents are on, like really on the serve and return their babies or their children put a mm -hmm. cue out. They respond. They're really on it 30% of the time. <laughs> so I need to change my rule. It's not 80-20. <laughs> It's not even yeah, eight oh and go. Even, it's three yeah. oh and go. You know, like thirty percent. You you got yes. it. You <laughs> so, winning. 
That's a good goal. <laughs> that's that's a goal that we can set for ourselves and say, you know what, 30% of the time, I just need to notice those cues 30% of the yeah. time and I'm good. I'm within the research boundaries. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I yeah. love that. He, he says that the rest of the time in really ideal relationships, because then I was like, well, what's going on for the other 70%? <laughs> that's true. And his answer is that you're you're falling out of connection and working your way back into connection. Mm. And he goes so far as to say, that's not only normal, but necessary for mm. healthy child development. Yeah. Mm. The concern arises when you fall out of connection. So you're no longer responding to the needs and cues of child and you get stuck. Mm. Then that's when the concern arises. But the rest of it, rock on with your socks on. <laughs> As you were saying that, you know, I just had this moment of applying that to myself or parents mm. applying that to themselves. And it's almost like sometimes I had spoken about this on, on social media, but like I had fallen out of connection with myself. And if we do that, it's almost like I was disconnected from my kids, but it's because I hadn't taken the moment to reconnect with myself. I was in parent yeah. mode. I had kid after kid after kid, right. you know, in under four years. And it was like, yeah. this is what parenting is. And then as parents, we forget, like, it's okay to want to take a, it's okay to want to leave, to take yeah. a walk. And we get that guilt and it starts eating up at us. And we mm. think that's bad parenting because we want to step away and breathe. <laughs> right. But that connection yeah. piece. It, it's so mm. huge. And mm. if you are disconnected from yourself, how can you be connected to your children? Mm. It's, it's an impossible ask. Um, there's this beautiful line, and I wish I had the reference for you. It's a rabbi from, you know, somewhere in history who said that which is to the greatest good of self will be to the greatest good of all. Mm. And then there's a second part. So good. Mm. And if I am only for self, then who am I? But notice the order. The order is that which is to the greatest good of self will be to the greatest good of all. And so um, as parents, when we sell ourselves short, when we don't give ourselves room to breathe, when we say yes, 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 and we need to be saying no, 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 <laughs> when we do those kinds of things, it's not just us that gets defeated in that. Mm -hmm. The defeat is passed along to our children. And so be to the greatest good of yourself. I love that. Uh, <laughs> thank you. There are two things that I'd like to close off this conversation with, two factors that we didn't talk about that I have a feeling might be on some parents' minds, screen time and aggressive mm -hmm. behavior. And another one is friends. You know, it could be a younger child or even elementary school. So let's start with the screen time. Can it have an impact on a child or is this something that would be part of that scan and that getting curious part? Yeah, I think, I mean, screen time is a really important thing for us to talk about in today's day and age. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first part of that is that just in terms of sensory inputs, um, screen time is not, uh, you might think about it as idle time because your child's sitting still and they're in front of a screen. And mm -hmm. But screen time, especially gaming time, um, but any kind of screen exposure is very alerting. So it's it's taking the the nervous system of the child and really kind of amping things up, even if they're sitting still the whole time. So we can't think about screen time as something that's really, you know, having our, our child be calm or mm -hmm. chill out. Mm -hmm. um, screen time is usually, especially if kids are gaming, uh, the opposite. Mm -hmm. The other thing with screen time is that it tends to, result in what I'll refer to as a bit of like Hulk child syndrome when the child comes off the screen. Um, my colleague in Australia, Christy Goodwin, talks about the techno meltdown uh, when you, your child's been on technology for a long time and then has these like blowouts after the fact. And you're like, what is this deal? Yeah, you were calm five minutes ago. Yeah. So part of it is that you're reacting possibly to the sensory input. Yeah. The other thing is, and I've seen this in my own children, that when you enter into the world of online um, gaming and all of that kind of stuff, you are like the master of your own universe. It's true. You know, you call the shots, you you do this, you do that. You, you are not answering to anybody. And then you step out of that world and come back into the world. 
uh, and you have to go and like walk the dogs <laughs> or take the trash out or whatever it is. And, and there's like a bit of a rub there. Mm. It's almost like the same kind of rub we see when children are in the care of a daycare provider. And then the parent comes to pick them up. And all of a sudden the child goes a bit whirly squirrely and the daycare mm. provider's like, I swear they weren't like this before you yes. showed up. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's kind of the same thing where the child has to kind of pick up their relationship brain and take it off the computer and off the screen and put it back down onto their humans. <laughs> and as it's picking up their relationship brain and sort of traveling through the gray abyss before it lands back on their humans, things can get a little intense because yeah. there's a disconnect that's yes. happened. Mm -hmm. And now we need to have them land with us again and mm -hmm. find their way forward. I hope that this helps parents kind of understand a little bit more about what happens after screen time because it's not that we can stop it right if your child has to watch tv for an hour and this is going to happen this is part of it but at least i think knowing that you can have the mindset of okay i'm expecting this and yeah. you prepare yourself for it and then you could plan with you know whether it's some more calm time after or connection time you know with your child mm -hmm. to try to bring them down uh, being aware that they're at that elevated level of, of yes. yeah activity N now what would happen if you know, you have a nine or 10 year old and everything used to be okay. And now they made a new friend and mm. you've noticed that their behavior is changing a little bit more. And it's hard because it's their friend. You can't tell them to just not see them anymore. How do you, what mm. kind of conversation should you have with your child? Yeah, that is a tricky one to mm. navigate. And Gordon Neufeld and Gabo Mate, of course, wrote about this in um, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. I'm going to add all of these, by the way, for those listening. Everything that then Dr. Lapointe mentioned will be in the show notes. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful book and, and core reading for anybody who's, um, you know, growing up kids in any kind mm -hmm. of environment. Um, and, and the thesis of the book is that when children become peer oriented, meaning their compass point, where they're getting their cues from, where the, the direction they're being guided uh, is coming from their peers then we got ourselves a problem because there is meant to be this beautiful, compassionate, relationship-based hierarchical ordering to how that's all set up, where the parent is in the lead and the child is leaning into the parent's lead. When your child begins to lean into the lead of a friend or a peer, now we've disrupted the natural hierarchy. And instinctively, the child is going to be reactive to that because they will know it's not the natural way of things. Uh, they are wired up as part of a social species. And so they, even if they don't know it co consciously, their cells know yeah. that they're meant to be leaning into their big people. Yeah. So I would say the number one thing, if you have a, a child who's made this new friend, and then you see that things are going sideways a little bit, The number one thing is not to actually go after the friendship. The number one thing is to go and take a deep, honest look at the relationship that you have with your child. Uh, yeah. So that you are able to invite your child back into your orbit so that they are leaning into you for the guidance around those kinds of things. And how, how you would do that would be to focus on you and your child. Yeah. What is it that you are, how are you taking time to see and hear them, but like really see and hear yeah. them? Uh, do you have, you know, special time set aside on the daily, you know, whether it be right before bedtime, before school, right after school, whatever it is, where you're getting that connected time. Do you have rituals and traditions that you take part in with your child where, I don't know, um, one of our clinicians here at the clinic was talking about how every other Saturday, she switches off with her kids and they go on hikes. And so she gets this alone time every Saturday with one or the other of her children where they get to, and that's just their ritual. And the kids know that that's how that plays out. And so do you have those kinds of things set up in your home? Has your child experienced you as an adult who steps in on their behalf and shows up for them when they need it? Like all of those kinds of things to really look at the relationship that you have with your child. And then be thinking about how are you stepping in around the relationship with the friend? Mm. And are there appropriate ways 
for you to kind of limit that. I know I've navigated similar situations with my own children. And one of the ways that I, especially as they got older, when you really don't have, you know, it's not like they're little and you're controlling who they're interacting with every day. They go off to school and they're out in the community and they're around these people. And so I make sure that I have those children to my home. I feed those children at my table. I, I get to know them. I know what their interests are. I know when their birthdays are. I do all of those kinds of things. So now what have I done? I have put those children and my child into my orbit. They're all now leaning into me because that's how um, we keep the environment, not peer oriented, but grown up oriented so that the kids know how it's all going to go. I love that. You know, I think sometimes as children get older with the parents I had worked with before, they feel that, oh, my kid doesn't like me. They don't want, they don't want to spend time with me. But it's not true. You know, I, I had only worked with kids up to 12 years old, but every single child would, would tell me, I would like to spend more time with my mom and my dad. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. And, and the hikes, I love that example because yeah. it doesn't have to be every day if you can't, but just showing them that you want to make it a point to connect with them is so important to them. And yeah. this, thank you so much for all the information mm -hmm. you shared. Um, how would you kind of sum it all up for a parent right now who has noticed this aggressive behavior? I, I, I'm assuming, like you, you said it before in the middle of this conversation, but we're going to start with us and then with the child, right? And then mm -hmm. the environment, and we're going to get curious. Is that how you would kind of summarize everything? I would, yes, that's how I would summarize yeah. it. And I would add sort of like a an overarching way of approaching it. I would just invite parents and it's not easy, but you get to choose your heart. All of it's hard. So <laughs> choose your heart. And this is the way that I would invite you to go forward. Neutralize your impression mm. of what aggressive behavior is. Cause we have this <gasps> is aggressive behavior. Yeah. Take the word aggressive, put it off to the side. It's behavior. And what always, always, always is going to be underlying that a need of some kind, be it a developmental need, be it a relationship need, be it a, a need for something to change in the environment. There's always going to be a need behind it. And you don't have to have all the answers as a parent, mm -hmm. even though you really desperately want them, Yes, <laughs> you get to, you get to be the answer. Yeah. You be the answer and the doing how you're going to step in around it will flow from that being. Got it. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> how can we follow you, find you, read on your book? Please share the information so we can learn more from you. Yeah. So Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe with an E on the end, mm -hmm. uh, .com is my website. Mm -hmm. um, I am very active on Instagram and Facebook. Dr. Vanessa Lapointe is how you find me in those mm -hmm. uh, channels. Um, and I also have a membership community, which you can learn about at the website. Uh, if you want more sort of upfront and personal interaction, uh, we have a really awesome community of parents that support that. each other out in the world and make sure their kids are getting the best shot in addition to my two books, mm -hmm. of course. I will put all of these links up in the show notes. Dr. LaPointe, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I can't wait to have another conversation with you soon. Amazing. I loved every minute of it. Thank you thank for having you. me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to leave a rating and a review on iTunes and to subscribe to the Curious Neuron podcast. I'll see you all on Instagram or on our website and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.